I do think that composable commerce and composable architecture in general, it's a mega trend. We are riding a tsunami, right? And it's pretty incredible how this is taking off. And it's taking off because it is a fundamentally better way to build for digital experiences, right? I truly believe that. Welcome to the newest episode of our Composable Commerce Leaders podcast. Today, I am joined by Chris Bach, who is the co-founder, CCO and CSO with Netlify, one of our technology partners. Uh, Chris has helped uh, to co-found this company eight years ago. Uh, he comes with a lot of uh, background uh, in digital commerce. Uh, he spent 14 years uh, on the agency side, on the SI side, so he knows how to implement and what requirements an agency has when uh, dealing with and implementing digital commerce strategies. Uh, and um, being on the agency side, he started Denmark's first hybrid production agency and won many international awards. So this conversation is a bit more technical. Uh, so we are deep diving into the aspects of composability and how this plays out for developers uh, and of course what's in for the customers. So let's double click and get started and enjoy. So today on uh, the Composable Commerce Leaders podcast, I have Chris Bach with me, who is a co-founder and CEO and CSO of Netlify. So welcome, Chris. Thank you very much. So uh, let's maybe start with uh, just, you know, maybe you walking us through who you are and your own personal story and uh, what you did before Netlify. Netlify, I think it's a cool, cool story uh, that, you know, uh, journey you had before and then how you, how you got to uh, found Netlify in the end. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, as you said, I'm Chris Bach. I am uh, uh, live in uh, San Francisco, uh, uh, where I started uh, Netlify together with my um, uh, co-founder Matt Bellman. Um, I'm originally from Copenhagen, as is he. So my old country is Denmark, um, and there I had a, a career in, in in agencies. So I spent 14 years doing that before sort of jumping the fence and uh, and building out Netlify. Um, yeah, that's the that's the origin story. Okay, interesting. And where does the name Netlify come from? Is there any ha. cool story yeah. behind it? Well, there had to be a dot com. I mean, you had to have the Twitter handle yeah. <laughs> open. It it needed to. I I like that it was so, sort of somewhat related to the web, and that it could be a verb as well. Okay. But otherwise, right? Uh, as an old colleague of mine once said, that branding is an act of will. Mm -hmm. So the name is the name, right? It's it's what you put into the name that's most important. So, well, yeah, the story comes from. Uh, from a bit of online research and, and figuring out. <laughs> but I bet the marketing team now has an official story to that. Oh, story. As always, there's a real story and there's a marketing story. You got the real one. Uh, wonderful. And yeah, so speaking about Netlify, so, so what is the company doing? So how would you describe it? So what's the, what's the elevator, elevator pitch on what Netlify does? Well, I mean, it is a platform that uh, ties together best-in-class components, is what we call composable architecture, into viable sort of digital experiences, right? So you have your components, such as your commerce components, your content components, your different build tools, and so on. And then Netlify creates a workflow for developers 
that get them to have a uniform release management, a uniform way of tying all these things together mm -hmm. into these different digital experiences. So for example, there would be like a commerce component would be Spryker and there would be maybe like, a, let's say Bloomreach, right? So it would combine mm -hmm. both, right? Yes. In a, in a unified release process. Absolutely, uh, and, and it, maybe you have Algolia for search or Cloudinary for dam or whatever it might be, right? Okay. And, um, and then, as, as a company, as a, a team of developers, you need to tie those together, right? Mm -hmm. You need a, 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 an easy way to pull in at build time and from runtime, uh, whatever data you need from these different uh, components. And Netlify does that very, you know, have just automated that entire part of it, right? It's actually so, a good, good uh, uh, as you said, it, like maybe before composable commerce, you know, this would not have mm -hmm. been needed that much oh, because, yeah. you know, companies were buying these large, suits of, of, of you know products and, and th there was no need to orchestrate and you know to glue yes. together like different components right In that, and Netlify was born out of um, uh, of that need right so before us you, you ran web monoliths right mm -hmm. so essentially you would have a content management system but that would also be a template and your build tool your glue code your server device maybe everything it would be a monolith and we'd run all the time on a server and it would build a version of a whatever website it might be, a web page for every visitor, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and there was a better way of building where you could sort of decouple the business logic and data and back in on one end and the digital experiences on the other. And that would also open up the door for using best-in-class components. So instead of having one monolith that says, oh, I want this monolith for its content management, but then I also have to use its analytics and its commerce tools and everything is publishing engine, you name it. It's one big piece of monolith, right? Okay. Uh, where in this new world, you can choose, hey, I want Spryker to do my commerce, right? I want Contentful to, to handle my content management or whatever it might be. And you can use these different components mm -hmm. depending on your tech stack, your needs, your developers, right. your overhead, your target audience, and, and whatever else would make you know, that choice relevant. But in that world, these components needs to create to exist in viable workflows. Mm -hmm. So you can say composable success is best in class components mm -hmm. and then a way to tie it all together. Right? And that orchestration platform, that is Netlify. Okay. Yeah, this makes makes total sense. And and how would you describe your ICP? And and so it's it sounds like from a buyer perspective, it's 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 a rather technical buyer buying the product, right? But like from the ICP and maybe industry focused perspective, so so who, who, are, who are you selling to? Well, again, it depends, right? Because what Netlify does is make it viable to build with a new underlying architecture. So, so in nature, there's a very wide audience, right? And we also have very many different types of, of, of clients. So it's not verticalized to say it's only health or it's only finance or it's only .com so, or, or, or whatever it might be. However, we have a strong focus on e-commerce uh, in enterprises. Mm -hmm. We have a strong focus on, on uh, larger dot-coms and, and corporate sites. Um, and the ICP there is often, you know, the product owners, uh, the digital director, the enterprise architects mm -hmm. um, um, that also need to cater other people in that organization, uh, such as, for example, marketers that need no-code experiences and so on. Right. And what's the what is the, the business outcome you are you are pitching on? So what's the what's the key what's the key promise which which by using your technology or your platform you know customers seek to 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 get to achieve? Very much at the, at the root of it, it's a faster time to market, as a okay. substantially faster time to market. So by ways of of of, of automating everything that goes into connecting 
uh, and to running and, and uh, to building out and running your different digital experiences um, in an old world where we moved from on-prem to cloud, uh, uh, you got uh, beta scalability and you got a multitude of services, but it was still business as usual, right? So the cloud became your Home Depot and you go and get your building tools and you build everything out, but you still have a big story around your infrastructure uh, and you need infrastructure engineers to manage all of that. You still have all your DevOps doing managed caching and everything else. You still have all your server environments. You still have a ton of workflow that needs uh, specialized engineering forces and needs a lot of operations, right? And so in composable architecture, that's often where the buck stops. It's, a, it's all about a theory constraints, right? Mm -hmm. Where's the bottleneck? Yeah. Uh, you need to remove all of them to have true impact. So it's not enough to choose a composable component, for example, for your commerce solution, if you don't also consider what are you doing around your operations. Right. And so what Netlify is able to do by, by way of architecture is to take all that away. Mm -hmm. So it's completely automated. There is, it's not about you know, an easier way of setting caching headers, or uh, it's about never having to do it again. And so the, what we drive is, is very much a, a, a process where the developers that sits and builds out these properties, when they're ready to go live, they, the implementation step is basically skipped. What is the alternative? To, so what's the alternative today then for them? So, so if, if there is no Netlify, right, mm -hmm. and I want to, I, and I'm still uh, embarking on this composable commerce journey as a company, yeah. and I'm buying, you know, best of breed yeah. technologies, right? So, 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 what is the alternative? The, the alternative is very much that you you try to build it out yourself on different cloud services. Mm -hmm. um, as you could imagine, you're not going to get everything, right? But you can get <laughs> some sort of rudimentary service. You might get something live, but as far as as time to market, you still have many more dependencies. Uh, you still have operations involved to a much higher degree. Uh, you still need to continuously uh, uh, drive operations of sites and properties that are live mm -hmm. um, in order to continuously go and tweak uh, you know, the, 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 the rules on, on the edge nodes, the, the caching headers and so on. Um, and what you end up is just, it's, it's a very large operational overhead. Uh, the same, in other words, as you had when you had a monolith. And so the business impact here is that while you've, you've invested in composable components, such as fantastic uh, commerce solution, right? But then the operational overhead means that one, whenever you've, you've, you've orchestrated those APIs to send the data in the right way, and, and the developers are building out the digital experiences, they are still left to make tickets for DevOps that they hope someone will answer in a month or two, right? Yeah. They're still left for, 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 for a, a very large overhead around implementation. Yeah. But the beautiful part of this uh, composable architecture is that can actually be abstracted away in its totality. And that's where Netlify comes but, in. But, but if you're taking away all these burdens, so then it's not only time to value, you're also helping to decrease cost, I guess, right? And there's, right? A huge, there's a huge cost reduction here, right? And that's, that's one of the benefits of a faster time to market is also you to get less, spend less time in getting there. Right. Uh, on average, um, uh, enterprise clients on Netlify deploy to production 24.82 times a day. Oh, wow. And and that's very often when they're on monoliths before they come to Netlify is anywhere between once every two to eight weeks. Okay. So there's a very substantial difference. And it's not just because you set up your CDCI workflows and so on through Netlify. It's more sort of how you're orchestrating your sources of truth 
Are they in many different places catered by different types of engineering and operational organizations? Or can you take all that infrastructure, turn it into code, and run it out of the same repos for everything else? Because once you do that, that's when you're enabled to make small changes with small teams. And then things like security scans and, and uh, uh, Q&A and so on actually much more programmed into the workflows themselves rather than being these larger scans you have to wait for at the end of it. So it's also time time to change basics, right? So oh, you're yeah. saying on average it's like 25 times a day. Absolutely. If you then translate it into a business metric, this also means that customers can go into A-B testing faster, they can you know, try exactly. out new use cases faster, right? They can yeah. identify those which, which contribute to you know, growth or bottom line. And this continue the ones which, which, which are not, right? Absolutely. All about faster time to value. Mm. Yeah, that's great. So, uh, we know we've spoken already a little bit about Composal Camera, so, but is there like an analogy which you are using when you are talking to clients or to partners? So, how do you describe Composable Commerce in a, in a nutshell? Well, Composable Commerce to me is, is uh, well, first of all, let's talk about the why, right? Mm -hmm. it's why is because it's faster time to market. Why is because it's so much more flexible, right? That means that today, we all know that commerce is, in many cases, a volume game, right? Mm -hmm. So your, your, your margins are fairly razor slim. Um, but that also means that you have to do what you can, optimizing you know, for, for everything you can, right? So if you go composable and you uh, uh, get uh, sites that are much faster and end results that load much faster, your time to first byte is, is cut down to a tenth of what it was, those extra percent in conversion is often the difference between profitability and the opposite, right? right. And so. Uh, uh, you want to do everything you can to differentiate that brand experience. You have to stand out. And so if your checkout experience, for example, is super templatized and you can do whatever the monolith sort of allows you to do because it's set up with a certain set of rules, right? Whether in Composable, you are, you're, the checkout experience and how it's displayed for the end client, that is decoupled from whatever backend solution supports it, right? Mm -hmm. um, that opens the door for something that's much, much, much more customizable, right? And I think brand differentiation is a huge value add here. Um, I would say reduce costs. Mm -hmm. uh, a CMO for a very large financial institution told me the other day um, that uh, he's on one of the bigger monoliths and let's, uh, can't remain nameless. And he said, they sold me everything I needed <laughs> and everything I don't, right? And it's sort of a perfect example of they, that you have to sort of buy everything, right? Yeah. Whereas in a composable architecture, you buy what you need, right? right. Um, and, and again, you can, there is, comp there is some overhead, and we should be honest about that, how, and we'll get to that. How do you work with multiple vendors yeah. and so on? But at the heart of it, there's also a lot of simplicity mm -hmm. when it's done right. Uh, and there's a lot of things you cut out. Because your stack is always as lean and clean as you need it, right? Exactly, so yeah. right? And so, so that does leave you a, a smaller footprint and thereby also a smaller bill. Um, I also see that from a point of scalability, right? The more you are dependent on an origin running very large processes for every visitor, the, the more expensive that becomes. The more dependencies any service has on all the others in, in runtime execution, the more expensive that becomes, right? And composable architecture opens the door when it's done right for, for, for being, having built-in scalability to a much higher de de degree. We already talked about the security benefits of trying to circumnavigate navigate some of the larger surface area of attacks by simply not having them run uh, um, real-time for, for, for everyone to, to, to access, right? Um, and I also see a, 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 a big a differentiator in, in omnichannel and the ability to cater omnichannel. 
I think when DXPs and the monoliths really came out, there were that fewer touch points. Mm -hmm. And so it makes more sense that, well, we have one monolith and we'll build for all of them. Today, it's almost a little ridiculous how many digital touch points that are out there. So thinking that one monolith can build for all of them yeah. in an efficient manner, well, it's, it's just not tenable, right? Yeah. It, it, it's, it's an illusion, right? And, and so by having saying, hey, I can apply whatever best practices I need to build out the best digital experience for this touch point, and then having a backend that doesn't dictate that, but can be used the same backend for these different touch points is a very powerful proposition as well, right? And omnichannel matters tremendously. I think Target was out saying in a survey last year that an omnichannel uh, user spends four times more than, than install guests only, right? Macy's, Albertsons, and others have the same findings. Yeah. So omnichannel really, really matter, and doing it well really matters. And you already mentioned a few, a few of the downsides, right? Uh, I think people are very focused on, on all the pros and the advantages mm -hmm. and the benefits Composer Commerce is yes. giving us, right? But what are, what are the disadvantages and the yeah. cons? Real talk, I love it. Let's talk about that. Because there are parts of this that's hard, right? And I think um, one of them uh, that I see is, is and, I, and I mentioned it earlier in, in, in our talk just before we got started here, right? Which was, when you do composable, it's easy to think, hey, all I need are my composable components, right? Hey, my, my uh, you know, CMS is headless, or, you know, my, my, uh, my, uh, my commerce solution uh, hits the checkboxes, and it's true. But it's really about a theory constraints, right? It's, you have to remove all the bottlenecks. And so when I see people imply, uh, in, install composable solutions and not getting the results they, they look for, it's very often because they weren't going about it holistically. So they thought it was done by just choosing the right components, but they didn't think about the operations. Or they thought, hey, I have a monolith, right? I'll just make that headless because I can do that now. Surely I'm composable. And they don't understand why they don't have faster time to market. And you have to mm -hmm. sit down with them and say, well, it's because you still have all of your monolith yet. Like, right. It still operates exactly the same. It is true you get uh, a faster performing digital experience in the other end because you can optimize a little bit better for it because it's no longer directly uh, run uh, real time by the origin. But that's the extent to, to, to which you, you're reaping the benefits, right? All right. those other benefits that I just talked about only comes when you understand that shifting to composable architecture should be the result of a digital strategy. Mm -hmm. It's not just something that, it's not a quick bandage that you put over in a corner and then you'll see everything change from it. You have to think about your people processes. You have to think about uh, how you do operations. Are you still gonna try to build everything on the cloud and scale it in the same way as possible? Um, uh, as, as, as usual, sorry. Um, and are you actually choosing best-in-class composable components as well, mm -hmm. right? Um, and do you have the, re the, the digital maturity or do you need to lean into SIs to get the proper installations of these things as well, right? And also, very often, there's no such thing as a clean cut. For most enterprises, mm -hmm. they will still have a lot of content sources that sit within monoliths. And you want to, in an efficient world, not to be either or, but have processes that can draw yeah. from that and the new uh, uh, components that you've been buying. That's what Netlify really specializes in solving for, is to creating these workflows where you can compose solutions that has content sources both from your old monolithic world and from the new composable components, right? And I think once you do that and you're going with open eyes and you understand 
that this is more of a holistic project and you need more of a buy-in from the different stakeholders, right? Um, then I see fantastic results. But that also means that this is a little bit of a bigger project than just going and figuring out, hey, there's two developers over there or, or a marketing manager, whoever, whatever the angle is into Composable, as, uh, you know, and, and if, as long as we sign their checks to go and buy these components, we're done, right? Yeah. Uh, that will very, very, very rarely lead to the desired results, unfortunately, right? So I think it's a big misconception that, uh, misperception that uh, people think that you know, a composable necessarily has to mean that everything is broken up, right? Mm -hmm. So to your point, right? So yep. it, it, it's not either or, right? So you, you especially when, when transitioning, right, from maybe the legacy, the legacy world into the composable world, very often, you know, a migration path we see is that customers start cutting out, you know, yep. capabilities out of their stack, right? And they might end up with a few capabilities, you know, packaging business capabilities first, mm -hmm. while still maybe some of the more commoditized you know, capabilities still sitting in the, in the legacy uh, monolithic Absolutely. application. This is totally fine, right? Is no it problem? is. And, and we should be celebrating that because I completely agree with you. The reality is that one of the most beautiful value props of composable architecture is the ability to gradually migrate, right? We all come from a world. I came from a world for 14 years of you have a monolith, you build on a new one, you port all the content, you feature lock it, and 18 months later, you're, you're live on dated software and, and no one's happy, right? Exactly. But that was the only way to go, right? Yeah. That was it. And now you can slice out checkout experiences. You can start in a corner. You can uh, put something like Netlify in front of a monolith, get those shared work, developer workflows and provisioning, and then you can start adding components, right? Yeah. Um, there's more ways to roam than one. And success, even at, at scale, we very often look like it, it's not a completed journey, um, but that you actually have, um, you know, lots of remnants, right? Maybe the, the impact and the business impact just isn't big enough to rebuild something, but there's a lot of data and it's still relevant. You still want it accessible for whatever new solutions you're building out, right? right? And so, hey, can you make that accessible as an API in a standardized way? Beautiful, right? Okay. It runs on a you know some legacy database or whatever, but but maybe that's fine. Maybe that doesn't need to be ultra fast. Maybe that can be pulled in at build time. It doesn't actually need real time updating, as the digital experience is consumed on whatever device is out there, right? Mm. Maybe that's just okay. Right. And and so I totally hear you, right? The reality is that it's messy, yep. <laughs> uh, but that that you can get beautiful outcomes without it being A or B. Correct. And uh, so, you know, what, what I would be interested in is how do you, I mean, the tagline of the podcast mm -hmm. is Compose Outcomes Beyond Technology. So, yes. so how do you support your clients beyond the technology which you're providing, right? So like either through your customer mm -hmm. success teams or, you know, like training enabling teams. So what is it like in terms of, of, of like infrastructure that Netlify provides to ensure that customers get the outcome and not just the technology? Absolutely. I mean, it, it is always by thinking about the outcomes first, right? And technology as an enabler. You'll see Netlify in our space. We don't go out and say, hey, there's a certain flavor of, of uh, built tool or, or, or frameworks or whatever that you might need to employ in order to get there, right? Um, we don't go and, and uh, we're not opinionated uh, about a lot of things. Netlify doesn't, even though you run your web applications and your digital experiences with Netlify and your stores and your apps, um, we sit on top of AWS Marketplace and GCP and so on, right? They provide the infrastructure. You can use committed spend towards it, but mm -hmm. we provide other workflows, right? 
And so by default, we're extremely oriented around the business outcomes. Mm -hmm. And we're very careful of, of, especially in a place where you talk front end, there's very, very high iteration. So it's one flavor until the next morning it's another. And, and so it's not our job to go and be opinionated about which one it is. Our job is that businesses at scale can keep interchanging them, right? But, but still retain all the benefits of joint workflows. Mm -hmm. So we're very careful around technology for the sake of technology, right? Vice versa, we're much more uh, interested in saying large organizations that are doing composable architecture at some scale, mm -hmm. how do we make them successful? What are their workflow collaboration and orchestration needs and how and do we you have to take them? playbook success playbooks where you know mm -hmm. you just learned over time that in order to oh, absolutely okay. absolutely today because we, we sort of pioneered the front-end cloud and and now building on some of that we have almost I think I mentioned before four million developers and businesses right we had around a hundred thousand every month and uh, we have more than 32 million site stores and apps uh, live on, on Netlify now and so we've seen a lot of different flavors, right? Yeah. And so we can sit and talk both with their size, tech partners, and um, and end clients about what are the best practices we've seen, right? And mm -hmm. and and they vary tremendously depending on um, uh, what are they looking for business outcome-wise, right? But yes, there are a lot of best practices. But I really feel that it depends. You know, a tough question for you. So, who actually qualifies for a composable commerce approach? So, or, or let me rephrase. So, so who who would you say no to, right? If a customer comes to you saying, asking you, "Hey, Chris, I, I'm, you know, considering a composable carbon strategy for me," and and you know, who would you say, ah, you know, you already mentioned maturity, mm -hmm. digital maturity might be might be one. Uh, is, is is everyone set up for this approach, or are there cases where you would say, yeah, you know, that was uh, a great question. Like because it doesn't. I mean, yeah, it shouldn't. Nothing will, there's no silver bullets anywhere in life, right? And, and neither here, right? Of course, there are cases where it doesn't matter, uh, where it doesn't make a lot of sense. I think especially the ones that are catered by uh, the low end of the market, the site builders, right? Squarespace, Wix, and Weebly, and so on, right? There's some great Shopify offerings where everything is included, right? Mm -hmm. So if you don't have a big tech team, and if you are just looking to get something live, and whether that differentiation doesn't really matter, it doesn't matter if you can control the entire experience, you're looking for saying, I need something that has a reasonable uptime, right? At least <laughs> somewhat sort of, like let's just say it's live most of the time. And I'm, and, and you know, and I can charge the money for products and give me a simple way of uploading it, right? And and most most likely developers won't be involved in this, right? It'll be marketing coordinator or something like that, building it from scratch. Then go for those all-in-one solutions mm -hmm. that include site builders and have abstracted a need from coding away altogether, all right? There's some fantastic tools out there for, for, for people like that, right? And if you were doing a startup and you're one person, you're saying, I just need something live and, and I don't want to have a developer come in and, and look at it because I don't have time, right? Then that's also a great question, a, a, a great time to yeah. employ a site builder rather than, uh, like if we're not talking commerce, right? Um, rather than, than, than doing a larger project, right? So, so I can definitely see that. I can also see, let's say, you are a larger company, right? And you have a commerce presence, mm -hmm. but it's negligent, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say your main areas of business is something else, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe sometimes you sell some tickets for some events or something, but the main focus of your business is, is really elsewhere. And you're saying, okay, well, you can build a composable commerce solution, but what's the real impact here? What are you driving? If it performs 50% better, would that justify a larger investment at all? 
And if the answer is no, don't. Yeah. Like yeah. stay put, right? Commerce is not that important. And given that composable commerce is a relatively new trend, like two years or so, right? Uh, three years. Um, so, so where do you see it heading to, right? So, so, so what's the, what is the yeah. trend? What is the, like if you think, you know, fast forward two years from now, three years from Absolutely. now. I do think that composable commerce and composable architecture in general, it's a mega trend. We are riding a tsunami, right? We just went over the garden numbers a, a minute ago, right? And, yeah. and it's pretty incredible how this is taking off. And it's taking off because it is a fundamentally better way to build for digital experiences, right? I truly believe that. Um, so I think we'll see more of it, right? Mm -hmm. I do think that our focus area here is like, how do you orchestrate this? How do you, you know, um, make sure that the different stakeholders are well taken care of, what we try to solve for in Netlify? I think that's going to be a, a, an ever-increasing focus area, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think we're going to see more standardization and interoperability, right, between the different components. Um, I also think that we're going to see other things like AI, for example, play into this, right? And how you generate your templates and how you populate them. I think in personalization and experimentation, you're going to see a lot of AI there. I think in the in the in more sort of the front end space, you're going to see uh, uh, visual programming languages come out. They're also going to be more AI born, right? I mm -hmm. think you're, that that space is is due for major overhaul. The AI topic is actually interesting. If you think about like a couple of years back. People thought like these no-code, low-code editors would be the next big yeah. thing. If you compare it now to generative <laughs> AI, right, it, 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 yeah. it's, it sounds like a joke, right? Yeah. So, so nobody needs a low-code, no-code platform yeah. when you can generate code, you know, automatically, yeah. right? And, and uh, even like as a business person uh, yeah. without any programming skills whatsoever, right? Yeah. You can basically build, I mean, it's, it starts sl slow now with mm -hmm. just websites, etc. But, you know, very soon there will be the ability also to, to just you know, uh, put a prompt in there yeah. and then like let the AI write a serious yeah. business application as well. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. I think there's always going to be the, the same need for developers and everyone else involved, but I think the abstraction is, is what's just going to carry the focus elsewhere. If you think about it, 30 years ago, how many of you engineers in whatever company uh, would know machine code? It's probably a very good part of them, right? Mm -hmm. Now it's what, it's one in 10,000? No one knows machine code. It's been abstracted away. And that's what is happening. It's yeah. just another layer of abstraction. But then those abstractions needs the right inputs and frameworks to work in the right application and delivery and all those things. And then that becomes the focus area. Interestingly enough, we, we, we just rolled out um, what is now, there is an official name for that. It's called prompt engineering, mm -hmm. right? So we rolled out some training classes for our teams for uh -huh. prompt engineering, uh, which to your point is another level of abstraction, right? So because if you're good in these prompts, then mm -hmm. you can use these tools, which are then, you know, abstracting away everything uh, behind them uh, and it, it, it's great it's it's really like you, you can improve like the quality of the output like by many 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 x if you're good in engineering and you know yeah. the prompt itself absolutely so it's a very cool one and if you if you think back like the last two three years and it's especially last two years where i think the world was maybe a messy messy place and mm -hmm. you know many things have changed yeah um was there any change that you noticed like in your business in your approach like customers asking for you know, different or new business outcomes, focusing uh -huh. more on maybe fundamentals versus how it was like, uh, let's say pre 2021, 2020. Mm -hmm. Was there any change uh, or more sensitivity uh, for business outcomes than, than before or, or no change at all? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, one thing that happens with the current macro, macro uh, economic uh, uh, environment, right, is that there's more cost awareness, right? Mm -hmm. So before you might be tasked with saying, I need, like every ounce of SEO or performance and every millisecond counts. And now they're saying, well, <laughs> we need to meet these criteria, but outside of that, we also have to be more 
uh, cost away, right? Yeah. Um, so we want uh, outcomes, but not at any cost, right? Yeah. So we can get to the same results, but you know, burning exactly. through X yeah. or Y. So that, that balance moves a little bit, right? Um, it often results for companies in, in the SaaS space, right? In longer deal cycles, in more different sign-offs, mm -hmm. right? Um, in, inside companies. I would say the composable architecture as a trend seems very unaffected. Mm -hmm. So you might have replat, uh, uh, you know, rather larger replatforming projects being postponed, for example. Um, but there, I also think it's on our part an education, uh, a question of education, right? Because you you do that because it seems like it's going to cost you a, a lot of money, right, to replatform. So let's wait until better times. The reality is that. Uh, the cost of doing nothing is pretty tremendous as well. 40% of IT budgets are spent on plain upgrades, right? Mm. And what does that lack of competitive advantage actually do when you have slow performance uh, performance sites that, that have high bounce rates and low conversion? What does it mean when you have a slow fast uh, a slow time to market and and your, your ability to respond to your competitors is delayed by 90 days because, well, that's how long we, our check and balances take at whatever large company insert blank there, right? But, 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 but have you seen uh, some of the uh, legacy mm -hmm. uh, players and, and, and companies fighting back maybe with a... Of course. Uh, because like, you know, to, to your point, composable commerce can be more expensive, right? So if you have multiple vendors and you need to align, you have end up maybe with different contracts, like some of the, you know, more monolithic companies coming back in, especially in times like, like, like mm -hmm. you know, we, we are in right now saying, you know, hold on a second, you know, we give you a one-size-fits-all solution, right? It will be cheaper, you know, uh, hold your budgets, you know, we'll save you some money. Uh, yeah, of course, you know, composable commerce might be a nice future in architecture, but for the time being, where everyone is in a cost-cutting mode in, you know, across many, many industries, have you seen that happening? Well, no, yeah, I mean, I've seen the, the, the notion of that happening, right? But the reality is that uh, you're not, you know, uh, saving money, you're yeah. spending more money mm -hmm. because the cost of doing nothing is very high, right? Yeah. So if you stay in traditional commerce, right? If you, if you're uh, not as performant, your conversion right, uh, rates aren't as high as they should be. You're spending all the money on upgrades, right? You have huge overhead in just keeping it running. Whether you're paying that to a GSI or you're paying it to your own operational, uh, 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 you know, IT, IT system administrators and so on, right? Uh, and 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 DevOps crew, regardless that's still money coming off your bottom line, right? And so I think part of this is explaining what does it actually cost to do nothing. Explaining and making maybe these, because this, these are very um, often indirect or maybe not, not necessarily transparent costs to these yeah. companies, right? So what the CFO Absolutely. sees is that, you know, what is, what is on this order form, mm -hmm. right? And, what, and, and I, like, I like the way how you think about it, just, just you know, make it transparent that yep. there is more uh, um, implicit cost as exactly. well, right? Uh, which which is not on the order form, exactly. but you will end up paying this in the next three exactly. years. You will end up paying this in the next four yeah. years, right? Yeah, I think that's a. Um, <laughs> and and then again, like bite sized, right? Like what can we do? Like in saying, okay, we're not gonna get off our monolith in entirety, right? Okay, well, let's look at your checkout pages, right? They can be very, uh, you know, uh, uh, that can mean a lot for your bottom line, right? And this is sort of like a hey, right. any sort of bounce there means like my very direct loss of revenue. Is there a way? to slice that out from monolith, build that with modern tooling in a way that's not super expensive, and then you'll get, you can get going, right? Yeah. I mean, and that's just an example, right? But in other words, like, is there a way you can embark on composable without taking as big a step as you would have otherwise? So that's an approach. Um, yeah, I think there's, there's more than one, but of course, you know, uh, 
at the end of the day, you need to make sure that, that you're doing what, what makes more sense for your business, right? And you need to ensure high return on investment. I mean, I th- I, like, you know, you're, you're in a great spot, actually, because you are, if, if I think about it, like there are different uh, building blocks of this composition mm-hmm. story, right? So there might be like, you know, companies like us doing the, the, the commerce, you know, mm-hmm. engine piece. There might be companies doing the, the, the pimp piece, the mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you guys are actually the enabler for all these building blocks, right? Yes. So you're kind of the glue of all these building blocks. So yeah. you're in a very good position, so to say, mm-hmm. right? Uh, uh, gluing all of us together and, you know, being the enabler for, for, for the strength, as you said, right? Which is, which is just accelerating. Absolutely. On the other hand, we can also be in a place where very often, uh, these enterprise buyers are component first, mm-hmm. so they they're not always collectively aware that they are that they need a Netlify, mm-hmm. right? And so, if they come in and they and they buy a commerce solution, for example, and they think that's it, mm-hmm. and we'll just keep with our operations as we've always done, mm-hmm. um, then uh, then of course we miss out on an opportunity, right? So right. so it requires some market education and understanding. What does a Netlify actually do? Mm-hmm. Why is that relevant? Why didn't you need it before? But you do need it now that you're embracing composable architecture rather than the old monolithic uh, approach where a lot of these services were sort of implicit, right? They were right. part of the monolith. Now they're not. Yeah. Um, and so, so that requires some market education. Uh, on yeah, our so you broke up the monolith, but you know, what happened to the glue, right? So, so <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and so that means like that, that we really go to market with partners. Our partner motions is not adjacent to Netlify. It is the way we go to market. Great. Uh, look, I would I would want to um, end the podcast with three uh, more personal uh, questions. Mm-hmm. So maybe uh, the first one being, what advice would you give to your to yourself? Like let's say you know twelve months ago, oh, like twenty four months, months ago. So months anything ago. like in particular you learned in the last two to three years, which you know if you had have known it two years ago, this would have made a big difference. Yeah, that's a tough one, right? I was thinking about it. I mean, the this. This is becoming how the, the web is built, like how digital experiences are built. Composable actually is becoming default. Um, and in that, that also means that when we started out, we were everything to everyone, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, as in, you know, it's a fairly niche corner of the web. Now we're crossing the chasm and going into to more sort of early majority. Um, and, and that means that there's more than one swim lane, right? And, um, and then you have to make some conscientious choices. Are you gonna be everything for just trying to prescribe a very specific way to build for the web and be very sort of bleeding edge for developers and and doesn't matter if you break things and so on because it's not about the longevity of businesses anyway. It's just about you know presenting the next new thing for developers or are you gonna say, we can't be everything. Our mission here is to create viable workflows. Now it's arrived inside large organizations. They are having challenges building composable architecture at scale there's a larger audience here than just developers. How do we do what we did with the front-end cloud for that audience as well? And I think that's where we ended up. That was my thesis there. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, if I knew what I know now, I would have even double-clicked even more on it, right? Yeah. Because it's it's so apparent. But it was, I think, something that that I that I saw like had was an eventual outcome mm-hmm. of of where the uh, where the trends were going, right? So in, so in that way, I'm not. It's not so much that. That um, uh, that uh, I would tell myself to think differently. I would just tell myself, "This is happening, indeed." Like, <laughs> double know, down, like double that's down. the way forward, right? And there's some investments we're doing now that that, may, that you know you could have you could have looked at even even earlier than that. But uh, but uh, I mean, we've always been 
all in on this architecture and is happy to, to, to see it as wait, wait, what, what is a good, um, or what's the best example or, or kind mm. of customer case where basically everything you said today comes together, right? Where you are, you know, where there are different building blocks and different platforms and, and you know, all of this comes together and, you know, a lot of outcome, a lot of time saving, budget saving for the customer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's like a great example. Like yeah, there's so I many, think. right? Because there's so many different ones and we're super lucky to work with some fantastic partners, right? Um, from Peloton that, you know, has very different, like it's an exercise bike, right? Uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the US and the North American market and they're, they're very large business, uh, publicly traded and, and uh, they have so many different touch points, right? Like the app on the actual bicycle itself, they have their .com, mm. which has large commerce presence and mm. tons of stakeholders. They have one of marketing sites, they have developer documentations and so on. And, and, and uh, that was very siloed before, right? Mm -hmm. and, and they've sort of really arrived in a place, too, absolutely, <clears throat> right? Where they share design system and developer provisionings and how they use serverless and all these things, right? It's, it's a super advanced cool. uh, way of, of applying. Uh, modern uh, composable technology, uh, but there's so many. Uh, Twilio, for example, the locked-in web console when you mm -hmm. actually use the the, the the it's a Netlify application, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Spring uh, migrated 12 million e-commerce storefronts over to Netlify. Oh wow! Um, we uh, we work across uh, uh, some some really interesting ones. We have some some uh, uh, a lot of of, uh, of of very sort of core critical apps for NHS. Mm -hmm. uh, National Health Service, uh, mm -hmm. which is a very large employer over in, right. in the UK, right? And and um, and so so it's wonderful that they feel that they can depend on us for for right. literally apps that that's that that where it's about life or death, right? right. Um, so so there's some some uh, some great testaments to our true you know scalability in that, right? And our security, compliance, governance story, and all those things. I mean, like the list goes on, right? There's so many of them that I'm that I'm really proud of. Um, oh, I think these are great. Rates. If you gave me lots of, I, I would have prepared a. <laughs> no, it's, like <laughs> like a it's a great. great. Uh, but I think like the the idea is that there's a lot of them, right? I think especially <coughs> when I'm when I'm seeing these days is is e-commerce, right? Because it was always such a, a a great candidate for this technology because every e-commerce manager in the world knows the value of a millisecond, mm -hmm. right? But there's a lot of other things that had to come into play, and it was. There's a lot of personalization and there's a lot of dynamicisms and, and so that required quite a, a maturing of the ecosystem before e-commerce was really ready yeah. to embrace composability. Yeah. But now we are there. And so we're seeing some fantastic cases mm -hmm. where uh, uh, Sennheiser, for example, brought you know, multiple uh, 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 local apps and, and in, in many different languages all over the world into one global flagship commerce app and they did it from start, from brief to production in 11 weeks, oh, including wow. a lot of different language variations, right? Absolutely mm -hmm. amazing. And so there's more and more of these. And, and I'm just so excited that, that Composable Architecture has matured to the point where we really can give fantastic business outcomes, yeah. right? Where it's not just about the technological infatuation, yeah. but it's about really powering a new, le new level of results forward, right? Um, but at scale for larger companies, we have to do so holistically, right? And so yeah, I'm excited about the, our partnership as well, right? In that, I think um, 
when it's done right, it's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Is there any good uh, book or blog recommendation, like uh, maybe some you know a recent book that you read? Yeah, we which, talked which... about the we talked about the goal. Uh, oh, so we talked about the theory constraints earlier, right? Mm -hmm. The goal is a good book for that, which is the goal. Yeah, the goal, um, and um, it's essentially a book um, that deals with the the theory of constraints, mm -hmm. and it's put into sort of a, a factory setting, right? Mm -hmm. um, but but I think it applies itself beautiful to, to SAS and what we're doing as well, right? And it's this idea that, that you have to truly understand what is the outcome you're looking for, right? At the very end of the day, what is the behavior, the outcome that you're trying to drive? And you have to reverse engineer from that right. because if you leave any bottlenecks behind, that will, the, the narrowest bottleneck is what's going to dictate your output, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you come especially in something as complicated as, as, as modern technology, right? And in and, and, and the space around digital experiences. When you invest in that, that's where you have to be very level-headed, right? Mm -hmm. That's where you have to understand a few of the nuances. That's what I mean, that's the hard part. It requires some digital maturity because if you're only fixing in one end and not in the other, you're gonna run into these bottlenecks, right? right. And that's where you're feeling like, hey, I, I was sold this solution on the basis of all these promises, and the promises weren't wrong. Right. But you didn't cash in on them because you left out the other half of the equation, mm -hmm. right? And because composable architecture, by default, allows you to pick components that don't represent the entire solution, but part of it, right? That solution can never deliver on its own. Mm -hmm. Netlify can't, Spryker can't, but combined we can, right? Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the takeaway here. And so. A, a, a book that that's much more eloquent than I am around this is the is, is the that's goal. A great great recommendation. We'll we'll uh, link it link it in the show yeah. notes for sure. Chris, I'm I'm uh, equally excited about our partnership. I think as you just said, I think mm -hmm. it's a great great opportunity to really bring together like the best of the best, right? Yep. And, and and finally help customers to really you know achieve exactly. the business objectives they have. Thank you very much for being on the show, spending some time. It was a pleasure uh, and uh, goodbye. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely.